Good morning. Welcome to Christian Fellowship. Uh, kids, you are dismissed up to Grace Place. We love you. We're praying for you. Go have some fun in Grace Place if you'd like. Um, thank you again for everybody for being here this morning. Thank you for everybody tuning in online. If you are a guest with us, uh, my name is Tim. I'm a pastor here. Thank you again for worshiping with us today. Uh, it is great pleasure and joy to do so. How's everybody doing? Good, okay, kind of, sort of, ish. Good, good, okay. All right, so we're kind of awake, kind of. All right, I got my work cut out for me. Um, if you can open up your Bibles and go to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians, if you're using the Seatback Bible, the Bible that's on your seat, you'll go to page 972. If you got your Bible, uh, your own personal Bible, this would be a good time to throw a little bookmark in there, something, because today is one of my favorite days where we are starting a brand new series in the book of Galatians, uh, and so we are going to be in this book for a while. If you've been part of our church for the last, like, six months or so, you probably wouldn't know this, uh, but in general, what we like to do is we like to take a book of the Bible and just walk through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We haven't done that since March. We finished Esther way back in March before uh, Easter, I think, and that was the last time we did, like, a full straight book through, so I'm super pumped to jump in to the book of Galatians because we study the Bible here. It is something we are passionate about and love here. We love Bible-centered preaching and teaching. We love scripture. We want everything we do as a church to be grounded and rooted in scripture. Um, and so, like I said, we tend to walk through books of the Bible in this way. We usually just take a book and kind of go straight through. And we do that for um, a couple of different reasons. We do that because it helps us to understand the fullness of the original message of these different books, these different letters. Um, it helps us, so as opposed to just jumping in, sometimes you jump in, you, you pull a couple of verses, and you don't always know the context, you don't know exactly what's going on. Going straight through a book helps us to get a fuller grasp of everything that's being said um, and the context of what is being written, as well as, uh, and this is a big one for me, especially uh, as the, the main preacher, is that uh, it doesn't let us hide from stuff. We take books of the Bible and we walk straight through and that forces us to sometimes deal with uncomfortable passages, uncomfortable topics, things that uh, we got to do some legwork on to really understand what is God teaching us and sometimes things that, culturally speaking, uh, can be hard to hear. And this allows us, by taking books of the Bible in this way, uh, it allows us to do that, to be able to go in and um, wrestle with those things and not hide from those things, not jump around and skip some of the harder things that we have to deal with. And so... Uh, as I said, I am excited to be in Galatians. Before we get started, though, I do want to thank um, our Grace Place volunteers, and I realize that I just sent them all out of the room, so I can talk really nice about them, and they won't get embarrassed because they can't hear me. Um, but Grace Place is our kids' ministry, and for a long time now, uh, we haven't really been able to have it between COVID and, and closures and all these different things. We haven't really had Grace Place, and it is so important and so vital, and I'm so excited and thankful for Amy and her team to, to start picking this back up and get this ministry uh, moving again because it is so important to be teaching uh, our next generation, to be teaching our kids who God is and, and what he is about and why and how he loves us so much that he would send his son to die for us and all of these different things. Um, and so it is such a vital and important, and let me tell you, fun. I've been up there a couple of times where I haven't gotten to preach, uh, where I've gotten to go up and, and volunteer and be part of it. It is awesome and fun up there and uh, a delight. And what's exciting is that, um, you know, COVID happened. And, and so really for about a year and a half, almost two years, we really haven't had Grace Place on a regular basis. Uh, and what's exciting is when we stopped Grace Place, our kids were a year and a half to two years old or younger than they are now. And so we're kind of revamping things because 
the kids kept growing. Not only like height-wise, but in numbers. They just keep showing up, and it's awesome and delightful, and so we get to kind of rebuild this ministry right now. So um, for everybody who volunteers in that ministry, thank you so much. As a parent, thank you so much for loving and serving our kids. If that's something that interests you, if that's something that you'd like to have a conversation about getting involved in our kids' ministry, especially now as we're kind of rebuilding it and, and, and relaunching it, please, uh, on your Connect cards, you can fill out. There's a circle on the back. You can circle Grace Place, and you can um, get plugged in. Uh, and speaking of Connect cards, on your seat, it's one of these bad boys. These are the Connect cards. You can fill this out uh, with whatever contact info you feel comfortable doing. You can also do it online if you want to go green. Um, you can do it at churchinroscovillage.org slash connect. You can use these to update contact info, um, get, uh, get involved in different ministries. If you need to talk to somebody, you have prayer requests, comments, thoughts, concerns, you can fill these out, leave them in the offering plate in the back, uh, and we will gladly uh, connect with you as all. Well. We also do have an offering plate in the back. We'll take an offering later on today if you are able to. If you're online, you can do that also on the website, churchinroscovillage.org slash give. Um, and so I think the only other big announcement we have is that we are trying to launch our community groups right now. Uh, we want to get them launched in the fall, and that's our community groups are really where all of the good stuff, all the things we love and are passionate about and see up, they all kind of come molded together in our community groups. To make those run, we need leaders. We need people willing to facilitate discussion. We need people willing to maybe even open their homes. Um, and so if you are interested in being involved to help lead uh, or host a community group, that's another way if you want to fill out a Connect card and let us know so that we can get you trained and get things ready to go so that we can launch our groups as soon as possible once we have everybody in their right places. Um, I think that's it for announcements. So as I said, we're going to be in Galatians. Uh, I like to give you a little bit of an idea of why we're studying Galatians, because I didn't just throw a dart at the wall and pick Galatians. I've been thinking about this for a while. And why I want us to study Galatians on Sundays, uh, for one, it's the obvious answer, but I'm going to say it anyway, it's in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3 says, all of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This book is the living, breathing, active word of the holy creator of all existence. So why would we ever want to neglect it? Why would we ever want to ignore it? Why would we ever want to just put it in that category of, if I got a few minutes, maybe I'll crack open my Bible? Being engaged in scripture should be, as Christians, our priority. But too often, we decide other voices get to be louder in our heads and hearts. And it's us that make that decision. We decide what we want to hear. We decide what we take in and what influences us. Our church service on Sundays is about an hour, hour and 20 minutes, depending on how long I ramble. So in a typical month, that's, what, five hours-ish, where we're actually praying and, and reading and, and singing Scripture and, and being in the text. Think about your month. Think about even just a week. How many hours is the news on in your house? How many hours are you listening to music or listening to podcasts on your commute? How much of your week is given to Netflix and Hulu? How much of your week is given to scrolling social media? These things are not bad in and of themselves. But you've got to realize that everything in our world has an agenda. 
Everything is trying to teach. Everything is trying to train you, convince you, take up residency in your head and heart. And if the only time during the week that you are opening up the Bible is when I walk up onto this stage and say, okay, let's open up our Bibles, then my friends, by sheer time alone, you are being discipled by the world to a much greater degree than by Scripture. You are not going to just wake up one day. If you are a Christian, you are not going to just magically wake up one day and be a mature, devoted Christian further along in your faith. It doesn't just happen. Just because you have gray hair on your head doesn't make you mature. Just because you've been a Christian for a long time doesn't mean you're eating at the grown-up's table. It takes intentionality. It takes effort. It takes time. And so with that idea in mind, before we even get into the book of Galatians, I got a challenge for us, I got a plan for us, I got something we're going to pursue together as a church. There's six chapters in the book of Galatians. It takes roughly 30 minutes to read the whole book. I'm not going to do it today. Relax. I'm not even going to ask you to read the whole thing in one sitting. If you want to, you should, it's good. What I want us to commit to doing starting this week and for as long as we are studying Galatians as a church, what I want us to do is to commit, and not just commit and say we're going to do it, but actually do it, is to read one chapter a day throughout the week. So that means tomorrow, Monday, we're going to read Galatians 1. And every Monday from here until we finish Galatians, every Monday, Mondays are Galatians 1 days. Tuesdays, Galatians 2. Wednesdays, Galatians 3. I don't think i got to go through the whole list. You're smart people. Monday through Saturday, one chapter of Galatians each day. And so we're going to start that tomorrow. And I want to do this because, one, it's going to get us into the Word and get us to really, really know and consider this very important and vital book. We're going to know it backwards and forwards by the time we're done with this. And if you can commit to making this happen, if you can commit to, to connecting and doing this on a regular basis, I can promise you and just about guarantee you, you are going to accidentally memorize more scripture than you probably ever have in your life. So in a few minutes, when, when we get into scripture, I'm going to read, we're not going to look at the whole chapter this morning, but I'm going to read you all of Galatians 1 this morning. And I'm going to read, you got your phone? Cool. Reed's going to time me to show you just how long Galatians 1 is. And just to show you that we have the time to commit to this. Who's with me on this? Yeah? Is a good idea? I'm excited. I'm excited to see what God does to us in this. All of the Bible is for all of us, and it is all good and to be used and studied. So that's one of the reasons I want us to be in Galatians. Number two is that it's an epistle. It's Epistle is a letter, and much like much of the New Testament is comprised of these letters. The bulk of them were written by a man named Paul, who we're going to learn about this morning. These letter, letters are written either to churches or to church leaders in response usually to issues and concerns and questions that the churches were dealing with. Here's why. For thousands of years, it's God and the Israelites. They are his chosen people. The law, the rituals, the sacrifice, all of that, it's God and the Israelites, and then there's everybody else. And then Jesus comes, and Jesus lives, and Jesus has his 12 disciples, and he has lots of other, hundreds of other followers. 
And Jesus is teaching them, and he shows them that he is the fulfillment of the law. He is establishing the kingdom of God is at hand. He's forgiving sins. He's engaging in relationships, even with outside, with Gentiles, with non-Jewish people, even gasp with women. It's crazy. He's changing everything. He's opening up this relationship with God to other people. And then Jesus lives, and then he dies. And then he rises again from the grave and he shows himself to hundreds and hundreds of people and then he leaves, ascends into heaven. And now the 12 disciples look around and with these other followers and say, now what do we do? How do we keep moving forward as if he was here but he's not here anymore? How do we take the things we've learned, the things he has taught us in these last three years, how do we keep these things alive? And you see the church begins. This community starts. And as the church begins and the message of the gospel spreads, it spreads not only to other Israelites, to other Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. And even Gentiles are hearing this message of the gospel, this good news that God died for them in the grace and mercy and hope and new life that was offered to them. And they start saying, I want some of that, and they want to be part of the community. And so now you have, on one hand, you have Jewish followers, Jewish people who have, who have come to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. But everything built into their religion, everything built into their way of interacting with God is based on the law, it's based on sacrifices and tradition and having this idea of it's the Israelites and God versus everybody else. We have this relationship with God, this special one that nobody else has. And then on the other hand, you have these Gentiles who are coming to know about the grace and mercy through Jesus. And either they have no experience with any kind of religion whatsoever, or if they do, it's satanic and idolatrous, complete with human mutilation, human sacrifice, sexual impurity, financial manipulation, nothing good. These two groups now have to come together to figure out how to be this ecclesia, this gathering, this church. And as you can imagine, there were some problems. It was messy. It's 2021. We still got problems. It's still messy. Church life is not clean and easy. It takes work, and the Bible still gives us instruction and encouragement on how to do this well. This letter in particular is written to the church from Paul who started the church in Galatia. See, Paul would travel teaching the gospel, and he would go into these towns, and he would stay there for a while. And he would find a group of called, qualified, capable men to lead the church. He'd help get the church up and running. He'd help disciple them and teach them how to lead and get things moving. And then he would go on to the next town. And as his journeys would take him back around, he'd come back and visit and, and check in. And in the meantime, he would have correspondence. He would send letters back and forth. And the church would send him questions or he would hear updates on how things were going. And he would write letters responding to them. Galatians is written in response to some problems. The main issue that he is dealing with that we're going to see throughout this letter is that since he left, a group of influencers have gained some authority in the church and have begun to teach and convince many of the people of a distorted view of the gospel. Specifically, they taught that to be a Christian, Gentile converts had to be circumcised just like the Jewish believers. They preached that salvation, yeah, came through faith in Jesus, that's great, but you still also have to be circumcised. You still have to have this physical mark that you belong to God, just like the Jews have had. In doing this, they attacked Paul's character and credentials and ministry as he wasn't around to defend himself. 
By the time Galatians is written, the church is in disarray. You have dissension and chaos throughout the people because you have some who heard about this addition of circumcision, and most of them, I would assume, were the fellows who said, time out, what? I didn't sign up for that. I'm here for the grace and mercy. I didn't say anything about the circumcision end. And then you have others who were buying into this false teaching, not so much because they were like, yay, pro-circumcision. But the idea of the law can be appealing because the law brings with it structure. It brings with it rules and regulations. It tells me how I can do the work so that I can win. It brings a checklist and a scorecard. And we still do this today. Might not be about circumcision, but we find things, we find actions or beliefs in specific concepts and determine that to be a Christian means you must adhere to these things. We say things and we act as if, if to be a truly to be a Christian, you have to lean a specific way on the political landscape. If you're truly a Christian, you have to think this way about schooling your kids. If you're truly a Christian, you must be doing those things. You can't do these things. And we put in these different barriers and roadblocks to people being welcomed into our communities unless they hold specific stances on specific issues. Now look, having theological structure is not bad. We are part of the Evangelical Free Church of America and the FCA. We have a 10-point, this is what we believe, that all of the churches of our denomination agree to, adhere to, love, and believe. Having structure is not a bad thing. What gets things messy is when we decide that in order for someone to be a Christian, they got to jump over our hurdles. Because when you begin to add anything to the gospel, explicitly or implicitly, you are now a false teacher, a heretic, a corrupter, and an enemy of the very God you claim that you love. We cannot be a people trying to tell someone that they need anything beyond the finished work of Jesus to find salvation, hope, and new life. Because again, when you add to the gospel, in essence what you are saying is, hey Jesus, thanks for the cross, thanks for the sacrifice, it was great, but it didn't quite get the job done, so I'm here to fill in the gap for you. You're welcome. He cried out it was finished at the cross, and it was. But we are in a time and place in history in which absolute truth is up for debate. Even in some cases, we find these disagreements and dissension within the church. And so I think it's important for us to come to this epistle in which Paul is writing, defending the gospel against counterfeit ideas of what it is to have a better grounded and established understanding of the hope that we have in the gospel. The book of Galatians is vital to the history of the church. It's been referred to as the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. If you don't know what the Magna Carta is, there's a homework assignment for you. Go look that up, learn what that is, and then apply it to Christian liberty. It was the teachings of Martin Luther revolving around the book of Romans and the book of Galatians that really gave birth to and fed the Protestant Reformation. Practically speaking, I want us to study this text. I want us to be in this text because I believe having a right and accurate understanding and defense of the gospel is paramount in our world today. And for ourselves, as we allow the gospel to continue, continually and daily transform our hearts and minds, we need to understand what is and isn't the gospel. So I'm excited. I'm pumped to be doing this. I've been wanting to read this, study this one for a long time. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read you're going to hear Galatians 1. Reed's going to time me. All right, so let's pray, and then let's get to work. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to gather, to worship, to celebrate, to rejoice in you, to give glory to you, the glory that you so richly deserve. God, we come this morning and we open up this book and you have a reason we are in this book. You have a reason you have put this on my heart. You have a reason for for us to be studying this. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, illuminate this to us. Help us to see, help us to understand what it is you have for us this morning. God, I pray that you would be glorified, be made much of as we study your word, as we continue to worship you. God, we lift up our brothers and sisters around the city, a city that is hurting, a city that is confused, that is at times even at odds with itself. We pray that this morning, that right now is a time of healing, a time of grace and and mercy and rest. God, we lift up those around the world who are truly being persecuted for their faith. Those who live in places where it is a lot of darkness and they are shining their light as brightly as possible. They, They live in places where to hold a Bible, to acknowledge Jesus is forbidden. And yet they continue to do so knowing the power of the gospel, knowing the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. God be with them, comfort them, encourage them, support them as they continue to shine their lights. Lord, as we open your word this morning, and as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus, and in his name, amen. All right, Reed, you ready? All right, when I say go, hit the clock, ready? Go. Paul an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that is preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. 
Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Two minutes, 22 seconds. It's a good idea to pray before you read, so let's call it an even three minutes. You got three minutes? I think the longest chapter, I think chapter three, you might, it might take you about four and a half. You got three minutes. You got four minutes a day to be in the word. I'm super excited. I think, I think God's going to do some amazing stuff. So who's writing this letter? Paul, an apostle. We get it right at the top. He is writing to combat false teaching who have teachers who have not only taught a false gospel, but have done so while discrediting and disregarding his authority. And so what Paul is going to say and how he is going to say it throughout this letter is heavy and weighty with great emphasis and urgency and force. But before he does that, he reminds the recipients of who he is, what gives him the right to write this way. He is Paul, an apostle. Apostle means sent one. He is a messenger. But Paul is not merely a sent one or a messenger. There's a difference in regards to Paul and the original 12 disciples and their roles as apostles versus anyone else who is an apostle afterwards. Because the difference for the disciples and for Paul is the sending and authority and role that they have been given to them was given to them directly from the incarnate God, Jesus Christ. Jesus had his disciples in his ministry years of life, and after his death and resurrection, he also appears to Paul as he's traveling to Damascus. He's on his way with paperwork in hand that says he can basically do whatever needs to be done to persecute this Christian church. That doesn't happen because Jesus meets him on the road, changes Paul's heart, and he goes from persecutor of the church to church planter. His role as an apostle is not from man nor through man, meaning it wasn't because the 12 decided he was good enough, he didn't win a contest, he didn't go through enough hours of schooling to be called an apostle. His calling, role, and authority come directly from God himself. And this is not him boasting or bragging, but rather defending his name as well as giving his words credibility. And really, ultimately, trying to comfort the people so that they know that he is not trying to harm them or manipulate them, but rather he cares what is best for them. Now, some of you might have heard and you might hear that people today still use this term, apostle. I'm, I'm an apostle. We don't need to get into all of the specifics of that. Yes, there can still be apostles today, but we have little a apostles, and then we have capital A apostles, right? Capital A apostles were sent, met Jesus face to face, were sent by him. There's 13 of them. There was the 12, and there's Paul, and then there's everybody else. These things are different. Does that make sense? Yes. Paul's apostleship, his authority was from Jesus, Jesus directly, and from God the Father, who after Jesus died on the cross and was buried three days, raised him from the dead. In verse 2, Paul also acknowledges that while this letter is written from him, it's his words, it's his instruction, he writes with the support of a community of believers who are with him, who want to see the churches of Galatia flourishing and not floundering. So why is he writing? We see it in verses 3, 4, and 5. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. In verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. This is Paul's standard greeting. If you read any of his other letters, most of the time that shows up right early on. 
If you've been in church long enough, you've probably heard about this greeting. It's a combination of a standard Jewish uh, greeting, peace, shalom, uh, as well as the Greek greeting of grace, charis. But in these simple words are the very heart of the matter of why Paul is writing this letter. Because these two things, grace and peace, can only truly come from God himself. Grace, getting what you don't deserve, the unmerited favor of God. We find that grace in him sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins in our place and offering us salvation that we can't, don't, won't ever deserve. And from that grace flows a river of peace, knowing our relationship with God has been renewed and redeemed and restored by and through Jesus and him alone. Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get that grace and peace? Because that sounds really good to me. Paul talks about it in verse 4. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of the Father. Right off the bat in these first four verses, do you see who's getting referred to and mentioned the most times? It's God and Jesus. It's not the Galatians. It's not Paul himself. It's not you and it's not me. The emphasis and focus is on God. He's writing to a chaotic and confused people. So he wants them focused on the main thing, God himself. Our grace and peace comes from Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. Jesus delivers us. Literally, that word is to rescue, to pluck out. Jesus came with a purpose and reason, and it wasn't just to teach. It wasn't just to be moral. It wasn't just to set an example for us and do nice things. He came on a rescue mission. His end goal of getting to the cross is the culmination of a rescue mission that saw God himself leaving his throne, leaving his place at the right hand of the Father. He steps into the creation that he made, fully man and fully God. He lives perfectly. He dies painfully so that he can rise again victoriously over sin and death and hell and Satan. The way he delivers us, the way he rescues us is by giving himself up for us in our place. Jesus was not defeated. He was not outsmarted or outgunned or outmanned. He allowed himself to be captured, tortured, and murdered. As he himself said in John 10, 17, and 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus gave himself for our sins. He died for you. He died for me for our sins because our God is righteous and our God is just and sin had to be accounted for. Sin had to be dealt with. Sin had to be punished. And so, yes, our God is righteous and just, but our God is also rich in mercy. And because of that, he pours out his wrath upon not us, but the Son. Jesus died for our sins, and in doing so, he delivered us, rescued us, redeemed us from this present evil age. But let's talk about this rescuing. Because it says he rescued us from the present evil age and delivered us from this present evil age, but yet we're still here. In, in Jesus' prayer in John 17, he prays, I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
In Acts 4, under the threat of persecution and punishment, the disciples pray, and now, Lord, look upon these threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. It's not that you become a Christian and now you are no longer affected by this present age. You are no longer burdened. You are no longer here, right? We obviously are not just removed from the situation. We are not wrapped up in some big spiritual bubble wrap where nothing can harm us. Instead of delivered physically, what we're talking about here, what Paul is getting at is that we have been delivered from the power of this age. We are delivered from the power of the ones who would try and defeat us. We are delivered from the power of sin over us. We are delivered from sin and its hold on us. We are no longer slaves to sin, but rather we are made free by Jesus. This freedom in Christ is the theme that we will cling to as we study this book. The righteousness and justice of God being poured out on the Son so that we might not only receive salvation, but we might be freed from the power of sin and darkness in this age. That is the good news. It means if you are a Christian, you have in you the ability and power to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but rather to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember why Paul is writing this letter in the first place. Some were trying to convince the people of these churches they were better off under the bondage of the law rather than the freedom of grace through Christ. This book is about freedom. A freedom that could never be achieved under the law. A freedom that is unattainable outside of the grace of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We were saved from our sins through Jesus and delivered from the present age. There's freedom here and now and forever by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. If you have already done so, and you still say, I feel so trapped in my sin. I feel like I just keep falling into the same sins, the same routines over and over. I feel like I'm stuck in this sin jail cell. Brothers and sisters, that door isn't locked. You have the power and ability within you, not of your own accord, but because of the Holy Spirit, to walk through that door and say, I am no longer stuck. I am no longer a prisoner to the sins that have once held me. I am free because of Christ. And that freedom comes back to what we often say about the gospel here is that in the gospel, we have been saved from the wrath of God to be a blessing to others. Which means, yes, we have been saved from hell. Through faith in the death of Jesus, we have been saved from hell, from eternal torment and separation from God. But we're also freed to live differently now. To live in response to the gospel now. In how we interact with the world around us so that our life might look different, so that our lives might look different here and now, so that others might be drawn to the light and life found in God. As Paul says, to him be the glory forever and ever. It is for him that we live in response to the gospel. It's for him so that we have been set free, so that others might come to see that freedom and understand it comes from the grace of God and be drawn to him. The gospel is not a for later thing. It's not a I'll get right with Jesus later. It's for now, and it's forever. We have new life here and now. It's different and changed. We have been freed from the power and influence of this present age by Jesus through his death and resurrection. And Paul says all of this is according to and by the will of God the Father. The sacrifice of Christ, his death for our sins, his deliverance of us from this present age, all of that is according to the will of God the Father. 
It's his compassion and plan and desire and will and work that gives us access to himself, that makes us right with him. We don't earn it. We don't win it. We don't achieve it ourselves. No, God opens the door. God calls us in. God welcomes us to the table. God feeds us. God renews and restores us. God does the work. It is him who does the work according to his will. It is by and through the work and will of God that we can be taken from enemies, slaves to sin, dead and stuck, destined for hell, and brought into the life to walk and live as the children of God. And the response to that reality should rightly be one of worship and acknowledgement of the glory of God forever and ever. Amen, as Paul ends that section. That is a weird way to end an introduction, isn't it? You ever written a letter to someone and then four sentences in, you're like, amen. We're worshiping the four, first four verses. That's a weird way to open a letter. But here in these first five verses, Paul has laid out the gospel. He has laid out the truth, laid out a call and reminder to the church then and now for us today where and who we are to be focused on. But it's in the, work, it's in the worship, it's in the amen, the so be it that we are reminded of the great, vast work and power and influence of Jesus for us. If we just scan these first five verses, Paul quickly has established his credibility and then immediately lays out for the churches in Galatia the reality of the true gospel. Grace and peace through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, who gave himself up for us to save and deliver us so that we might glorify God. The focus and emphasis lay squarely on God, which is where it should be. That was the problem for those in these churches. They forgot they lost sight of the importance and value and reality of the gospel. The life-changing, existence-altering reality of the gospel, the, go the gospel message, the good news that for all people, regardless of where you stand in your relationship with God right now, the gospel is for you. This letter of Galatians is written as a way to call you back to him. And so for the self-righteous, for the one who thinks they can do enough, be nice enough, outweigh their bad with their good so that God will have to welcome them in, for the ones who are clinging to their works, clinging to their spiritual scorecards, the gospel calls you to remember the sacrifice, the expensive cost of the grace that you have received and to remember that Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. He died. It is finished. You can't add to it. And for the wayward, for the one who knows the gospel, who heard the gospel and has strayed away, has gotten distracted and gotten lost, been pulled in other directions, has lost sight of the truth, that sheep who has lost his shepherd, Galatians and the gospel reminds us and points us to the good news that we have a good shepherd. The shepherd will come looking for you. He leaves the 99 to go find that one lost and welcome him back to the fold. There is grace to be had. There is forgiveness to be had. There is hope and new life, free of guilt and shame. You weren't meant to carry those things. The gospel lightens the load as we walk this earth. And if you're here this morning and you're lost, and you're searching and seeking, and you just need a break. You're just 
looking for something and you've tried a bunch of things and nothing quite quenches, nothing quite satisfies. It's because what you're looking for is the gospel. What you're looking for is the rest and compassion of the good news of Jesus Christ. That God in the flesh died for our sins and rose again, displaying his absolute power and authority over all so that there is now forgiveness here and now and new life for those who would believe now and for eternity. There is healing. There is hope. There is forgiveness. There is identity. There is satisfaction and rest and life found in and through the person and work of Jesus. If you would today, even right now in this moment, say to God, God, I need you. I need Jesus. I believe that I need a Savior. He hears that prayer. He sees you in where you are, and he is welcoming you into the kingdom and family of God. The gospel is for all of us, and it changes lives, and it's not something to put off, and it's not something to ignore. It's not something to take for granted. It's not something, well, that's the basics. I can forget about that and build upon it later. No, you need to come back to that daily, moment by moment. If you read Galatians and you even skip down and you heard it as I read it, if you read any other Paul's letters, usually what, how his letters go is, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you, and then it's usually, I thank God for you daily in the way and when I pray for you. I'm so thankful for what I've heard of how you're doing. And, and he prays and he talks about his joy in whoever it is he's writing to. We don't have that here in Galatians. What we have, if you skip to verse 6, and I'm not going to take the words out of my mouth for next week, but he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's flabbergasted. Paul doesn't have time for thanksgiving and giving attaboys because the cost is too high, the stakes are too high in his mind. He doesn't have time for that. So he skips right over that and he's flabbergasted. He's out of words. He's so confused that they would walk away from the truth. Brothers and sisters, don't walk away because there is no life there. There is no freedom there. There is no hope there outside of Jesus. Grace and peace, redemption and freedom are found in and through Jesus and him alone. When we begin to add, when we, get, when we begin to try and manipulate the situation, we have taken the purity of the gospel and we have lost it. God himself in his perfect plan and timing has us in this book this morning and for the next couple of weeks until he tells me otherwise. He, we're here this morning so that we can hear and be challenged and changed and encouraged knowing that the God of all existence came to earth to die for us, to rescue us, and to give us life and life abundant because he is good and he's just and he's righteous and to him belongs the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are because you're good, and you're good all of the time. Sometimes we take that for granted. Sometimes we don't even consider. That it doesn't matter what kind of day we're having. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. It doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. When we come to you, when we call out to you, you are who you are, and you're the same all the time, and we can trust that.
We can rely on that. We can rest in that. God, as we study this book that is written to defend the gospel, written so that we might know the gospel in a richer, deeper, newer way, Lord, fill us, fill us. As we heard read this morning in Psalm 19, we know that your word is perfect for reviving the soul. Oh, Lord, that as we study this book, as we read through this book, that we would let this, your word, this letter to the church in Galatians, this letter to us today, revive our souls. God, let us never forget, let us never take for granted the grace and peace found through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of your Son. Let us never ignore that, but rather let us put that on the forefronts of our eyes. Let it be constantly on the tips of our tongues, on our toes and fingers, that we are walking and living out the gospel. That everything we do, every decision we make from when our eyes open in the morning to when our eyes close in the evening is filtered through the reality of the gospel, filtered through the grace and mercy and love and compassion and justice that we received so that we might be people who reflect those things to the world. Because you loved us, help us to love better. Because you showed us your compassion, help us to be a people of compassion. Because you gave us your grace and mercy, help us to be a people of grace and mercy. Let us not just learn these things. Let us not just add these things as intellectual information, but live these things out. Because the gospel is living and active. It still plays today. It still matters today. God, you sent your son Jesus on a rescue mission for us to redeem us and rescue us from this place so that we might experience freedom. Lord, help us to live as those who are free and not live as those still chained up to sin. Let us break those chains and walk away. Walk out of the cell door and into the new life and into the light you have called us to be and called us to live into. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Amen.